It's okay, we're starting a new series. If you ready, say oh yeah. The series is called Psalm 23. Ooh, that's right. I, I don't know where I came up with that name. Because we're going to be studying the book of Revelation, so I don't know. I'm just kidding. Um, so guess what the memory verse is? Psalm 23. Y'all are sharp. Y'all are sharp. Y'all are y'all drink your Caspian coffee today. Uh, so I, 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 there's six verses in, in Psalm 23, and I have faith that y'all can memorize it in the four-week series that we're going to do. It's going to take us to the end of the year. Four-week series. The reason I know y'all can memorize it, six verses, is because the last sermon series was 12 weeks long, and it was just one memory verse. And y'all nailed it every single week. Y'all did, oh, y'all were so good. So I have faith that y'all can do this. It's going to be in the New King James Version, which I think is the easiest to memorize. Put it on the screen, Psalm 23, 1 through 6. Ready, read it good and strong. Go. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me down paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. How many of y'all think you already got it memorized? If you've been to enough funerals, I'm sure you had to have them rise. So uh, let me tell you what my burden is for this series. Um, it seems like in the month of December, we already have so much weight on our shoulders in dealing with holidays and loved ones who aren't with us, and we want to buy this, but we don't have money and all these other things. And as Christians, it's very easy to get out of balance and focus on works mentality and how I need to change and what I need to fix and how I need to stop sinning and all these things. I don't want us to focus on that in December. I don't want to make it about us. I want to make it all about the shepherd. I want to make it all about Jesus. So I want you to just, I want you to give a big exhale in the month of December. When you leave, not yet, not yet. I'm just kidding. Go ahead, as long as you brush your teeth, whatever. Um, I want us to leave church for the rest of this year. Every time I want us to just... Just take a deep breath and just just exhale it all out and just realize that he's in control. He's the good shepherd. Our job is simply to follow him, and he's going to do all these great things in our life. Uh, when I first started reading this for this series, you know, when we read the Bible, we read it based on what we're going on through that day and what's in our soul and all that stuff, you know. And so when I first started reading this, I was reading it like this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow death, I will. I made it all about me. And so then as I started studying, I started reading in a whole new light, and I began to read it like this. The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. He's the one that makes me lie down in green pastures. He's the one who leads me by the still waters. He's the one and the only one that can restore my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I may walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I'll fear no evil. Here's why. Because you're with me. And your rod and your staff cut me. You, you, you see the difference in it? And I love how when David started writing it, he started writing about, uh, here's how good God is. And he could not help in the middle of the writing to start talking to God. 
Right? It starts off, the Lord is so good, and he does these things. And he's like, oh, God, your rod, your staff, you anoint my head with oil. He moved his focus, and I want us to do the same thing in this month of December. Take it all of us. I'm not going to ask you to grow this month. I'm not going to ask you to change. I'm not going to ask you to stop sinning. I'm not going to ask you to repent. I'm not going to ask you to do any of that. I'm going to ask you simply this. Let the Lord just change you. Let the Lord give you. Let the Lord provide for you. Let the Lord do things for you. And all you got to do is just spend time with him. Okay, so the title of part one is Psalms 23, verse 1. We're going to study uh, different verses each week. Verse 1 is today, and it's called He Provides. He Provides. You know, the purpose of this chapter is not, he's not commanding us to change or grow. He's just saying this, if you follow me, here's all the things I'll do for you. If you'll just spend time with me every day, just spend time with the shepherd, here's all the things that he does for his sheep. And, 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 and you know, if you could spend time with anybody in the universe each day, dead or alive, who would it be? You know, would you spend time with, with Abraham Lincoln or, or Michael Jackson or, or you know, um, Mother Teresa? Like, who would you pick to spend time with? Okay, we can spend time with the creator of the universe every day, and he's the only one who can restore our soul. He's the only one who can ultimately heal us. He's the only one who can redeem us. He's the only one that can do all these things that Psalms 23 mentions. And see, y'all, I know y'all, y'all meet with people every week who you don't even like. I know I do. I'm a pastor. I meet with people all the time I don't like that attend the 920 service. And so, <laughs> I love y'all. Some of y'all are like, are you, I've been going to the 920. I just happened to show up at the 11 o'clock today. <laughs> okay. Uh -oh. Psalms 23 verse 1 says this. The Lord is my, what's that word? Okay, I'm not into my three points yet, but I do want to point this out. Um, this, this coincides with the rest of the Bible. Psalms 100 verse 3 says, we are his people. We're the sheep of his pasture. John 10 verse 11 actually says this. Um, I am the good shepherd, Jesus said. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And as a side note, the word pastor uh, is synonymous with the word shepherd mostly through the Bible, unless it's talking about the good shepherd. Um, there is not a good pastor anywhere in the world. Now, in our English dialect, we say, well, they're good. But biblically speaking, there's only one person who's good, and that is the good shepherd. That is Jesus Christ. He's the only good one. The Bible is so full of that. It's the only good one. You know, when we read the Bible, we think the Bible's about us. It's not about us. It's all, if, if, if you want to see something in the Bible about you, here's what it basically says. You are so dumb and so stupid, and he is everything, and we can't breathe without him, and we can't live without him, we can't think without him. John 15, 5 says, apart from him, we can do absolutely nothing at all. He is the good shepherd. Now, according to the Bible in these passages, if he's the shepherd, what are we in this? We're the sheep. Now, if you're a sheep, everybody say, I'm a sheep. If you're a sheep, you need to thank God that he is the good shepherd who can lead you. And here's why. Sheep are the dumbest animals on planet Earth. They're dumber than cats. And I thought I would never say that about any animal in the entire world. They're dumber than cats. You know that sheep can't even feed themselves? Now, they can eat, but they can't find food. If they didn't have a shepherd leading them, they'd starve to death. Uh, write this down for your notes. Sheep have to be, watch this, led and fed. They have to be led and fed, and if you really want to get theologically correct, by what he said. They're led and they're fed. Now, you say, well, can I read the Bible on my own and can I do this? Um, you can read the Bible, but it won't do nothing to you on your own. There are atheists who read the Bible to try to disprove it. You can read the Bible, but you can't change on your own. You can't understand. You can't even understand the Bible on your own. The Bible says that. It's the shepherd that illuminates your soul. 
It's the shepherd who changes you. It's the shepherd who redeems you. It's the shepherd who does all these good things when you simply spend time with him and in his word. Psalms 23, 1, once again, the Lord is my shepherd. I want to focus on this now. I shall not want. Everybody say want. Okay, that's not really the correct word. The correct word would be lack. In the original language, it is lack, and here's the reason why. God does not provide what you want. He provides what you need. And you should thank God he doesn't provide everything you want. Because if he did, most of y'all would not be in this building today. And you wouldn't have what you have, and you wouldn't be as mature as you are, and you wouldn't be as experienced as you are in life, and you wouldn't be able to help the people you do if you got everything you want. There's an amazing Garth Brooks song. There's a lot of great Garth Brooks songs, actually. One of my favorites is, um, he says, sometimes I thank God for, anybody know it? Unanswered prayers. Unanswered prayers. I'll give you an example in the Bible. Um, Israel, they begged and pleaded, and they wanted so bad to have a political, military leader and king to lead them. And it took a thousand years for God to finally get it through their thick heads. You might want a king. You need a savior. You need a Messiah is what you need. You could have this person and this person and this person. It's not going to do nothing if you don't have the Messiah in your life. Uh, these drillers, and I'm, I'm not, this is just my introduction, by the way because it's a new series, so stay with me. These drillers were, um, they were digging for underground wells uh, to be established in the Kalahari Desert many, many years ago. And as they're digging, they got down 100 feet, 200 feet. It's a very remote part on planet Earth, very dry, very, very hot. And the, the natives that lived there didn't have enough water, so this company comes in, and they're trying to dig and dig to try to get them water. They got down past 200 feet in the ground, and they started hitting something. And they thought, what in the world are we hitting in the middle of this desert? Turns out they were hitting a tree root. It's actually one of the, 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 lar the deepest roots on planet Earth is in a tree in the Kalahari Desert. They looked around. There was no redwood tree or sequoia, you know, 100 feet in the air. There was just this, like, 12-foot tall tree, and it was it had provided a little bit of shade. There was some fruit on it. You know, in the middle of the desert, it was weird, but it was there. 230 feet they went and still found the root to that tree. Now, before I tell you the actual name of the tree, I want to tell you the nickname of the tree. The nickname of the tree is the tree of life. That's where the natives call it the tree of life. And the reason why is because it provides sustenance for people and animals in the most remote, hottest, driest place on planet Earth. The actual name of the tree is called the shepherd's tree, which tells me no matter where you're at in life, no matter what you're going through, no matter how dry this season may be, if you just stay under the shepherd, if you just let him lead you, you will have everything you need to fulfill your God-given destiny. You might not have everything you want. That's okay. He knows better than you. You'll have everything that you need. It actually goes along with Isaiah 43, 20. I provide water in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to my sheep. Um, one of my favorite poems, I think it got turned into a hymn, is by Annie Johnson Flint. Uh, she was born blind. Uh, she had arthritis most of her life. She, she had cancer, and she was orphaned. So let me just say that she did not have everything you have, but she did have Jesus. That's, all, that's basically all she had. And she wrote this, and I love it, and I've probably read it over a thousand times in my life. She said, He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added afflictions, he addeth his mercy. To multiply trials, his multiplied peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed and the day is half done, when we've reached the end of our hoarded resources, 
Our Father's full giving is only begun. Fear not that your need will exceed his provision. Our God ever yearns his resources to share. So lean hard on the arm everlasting, availing. The Father both you and your load will upbear. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. That's what our shepherd does for us when we simply just follow him. That's it. It's that easy. So three points for you today. They all have the letter C in them. Point number one for your notes. If you're ready, say, oh, yeah. Point number one is this. Be content. Be content. Philippians 4, 11 through 12, Paul said, I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I can have little. I can have much. I've learned the secret of contentment, whether well-fed or hungry, hands full or hands empty. Now, I want to teach you what's going on here. Paul, the Apostle Paul started a church. He, he rose up leaders. He helped all these people. And now he is in need in prison for doing the right thing. And nobody's there helping him. So imagine, you know, you pour into your family and you give these people your money, your time and energy. Now you're hurting and they're not there for you. So he's feeling abandoned, first of all. He's in prison, so he's feeling all alone. Commentaries tell us that the sewage system of the day ran right through the prison he was in, the dungeon. In fact, many commentaries say that while he was writing the, the church of Philippi, uh, he was standing in raw sewage up to his waist. Uh, just imagine the intolerable smell, the feeling of all alone, abandonment. And he's saying, you know, hey, it's okay, I can be happy, I'll be okay. Now, when he wrote the Bible, when he's writing this particular passage, he's not writing verse 1, I'm going to say this, and verse 2, I'm going to say that. The verses and chapters were put in later by theologians and scholars. So when the Bible was written, there was no verses or anything. So you have to understand, verse 11 goes with verse 12, it's just a letter. Are you with me? And which means verse 12 goes with verse 13. It's a letter. Now, do you know what Philippians 4.13 says? I know you do because it's the second most popular scripture in the whole Bible. It says this, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, see, you and I, we love to use this verse as Americans who are upper class and have, you know, refrigerators and homes and nice cars. We love to use this scripture out of context. You know, we're making $25 an hour at work, but our boss is treating us bad. So we say, oh, it's okay because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We love to go to the gym that we have a membership to in America because we have time to do things like that. And we're trying to live 300 pounds and we can't do it, but that's okay. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? We have a nice car, a nice house, great family, everything's fine, but somebody's talking bad about us on Facebook. That's okay. I'm not going to go after them because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's not what this verse means. You're taking it out of context. Let me tell you what this first means. This first means when you're all alone and you have nobody on your side and you're in prison and you're standing in raw sewage, you can be happy, you can be content because you know that you have Jesus and that's all you need. And because of that, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. That's actually what the scripture means. It means I can be content when everything's going good. I can be content when everything's going bad. That's what Philippians 4.13 is all about. And I love the fact that God is using a man who's bound in chains to teach us what it's like to be free. He's using a man who's bound up in chains to tell us, hey, if you're always wanting something and you never get enough and you can't be happy, you're not free. You're not following the shepherd who provides everything that you need. Is this a good sermon so far? Because you're looking like you're really confused. But that's a, listen, 
I can bring Matt back for a good hour-long sermon if that's what you want. <laughs> I'm joking. Being content doesn't mean that we don't want change. Being content doesn't mean that um, we're settling for less than God's best. Being content doesn't mean you don't have big dreams to pursue. Being content means you're not fighting the season that you're in right now. Being content means you're at peace even though everything around you is full of strife. Being content means you're grateful for what God has already done in your life. If he chooses to do more, you're okay. If he chooses to do less, you're okay. He gives, he takes away, you're okay as long as you have him. That's what being content means. Uh, Luke 1, 28 says this. The angel Gabriel went to Mary and said, You found favor with God. You'll conceive and give birth to Jesus, the Son of the Most High. Uh, he'll reign forever. His kingdom will never end. The Holy Spirit will empower you to give birth to the Son of God. Woo! That's so exciting. And Mary said, Be it unto me, even as you have said, I'm a servant of God. How great would that be? The only person in the universe to ever serve God in this way, and she's so excited. Wouldn't you be excited if God wanted to use you to do something like that? Wouldn't you be so happy that God had a plan for your life, a destiny, a purpose, a specific thing he needed you to do? Of course you'd be thrilled. That's chapter one. Chapter one's always exciting with Jesus. Guess what happened in chapter two? She's nine months pregnant, and her husband asked her to get on a donkey and ride to another town because the king's trying to kill her baby. Have you ever lived with a pregnant woman before? <laughs> do you know what happens when you ask her to do anything at nine months pregnant? <laughs> ride a donkey? She'll be using the word donkey, but she'll be using the King James version of that word. <laughs> that was funny. I should have said that in the first service. You get it? The King James, do you understand? Okay. Okay, okay. I'll laugh about that tonight when I'm laying in bed and just think about how, how funny I am. Okay, what are we talking about? Um, so <laughs> I don't even know what I'm saying now. I'm, I'm just too funny. Um, so she's riding a donkey to Bethlehem, and you know what? We never hear her complain not once. We never hear her say, you know, God, you're the one that I, you asked me. I didn't come to you. You said you wanted you, the least you could do is make it more comfortable for me. Give me what I want. I want a nice horse and carriage, something more smooth of a ride. The least you could do is stop this king from causing me all this stress, trying to kill him. She, she never said that. They get to Bethlehem, and there's no room in the inn. She could have said, Joseph, honey, why didn't you make reservations at the Super 8 at least, you know? You knew I was having this baby. It was all over the news. The angels announced it from the hill. You could have easily got us an Airbnb. I'll take anything. I got to stay in a barn. I got to deliver. My, there's no hospital. There's no epidural. Joseph, not once did she complain. Luke 2.7 says, Mary wrapped him in swaddling clothes, laid him in a manger because there was no room in the inn. When Jesus was born, she would say, Joseph, where's the new outfit for my little baby? My perfect, beautiful baby. I had to wrap him in strips of cloth. There was no crib from Pottery Barn sitting there. There was no designer jeans and their nails were. There was no Starbucks from latte from Starbucks being delivered her. There was nothing. She was in a barn. A king's trying to kill her baby. She had to ride a donkey. She's wrapping her baby in strips of cloth. And she was totally 100% okay. She was just as content then as she was before the angel came. It takes a lot of faith in the shepherd to be just as content on the mountaintop as it is in the valley. I should have wrote that point different. I should have said it takes, I should have said you gain a lot of faith when you spend time with the shepherd. 
to the point where you can be content on the mountaintop as you are in the valley. That tells me that if you're in a place today and you're not getting what you want, you might be exactly where God wants you to be. If you're uncomfortable, you might be exactly where God wants We think as Americans that when we're uncomfortable, we don't get what we want, surely something's wrong in our life. You might be exactly where God's wanting you to be today, and he's trying to birth something amazing in your life. Point number two is this. Don't covet. Don't covet. Exodus 20, 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor his truck, nor his barbecue grill, nor her clothes, nor his job, nor his hair that he paid $8,000 for down in Mexico, nor her jewelry, nor anything that is your neighbor's. You know what I really find funny about this, just to take a second, is that um, one of the reasons God gave them this command, one of the many reasons, is because every culture on planet Earth at the time uh, the men were selling their wives. When they got tired of her, they'd sell her to somebody else. And God was saying, hey, you get what you get. You don't throw a fit, you know. And, uh, but I love the fact that, that he never said, don't sell your husbands. <laughs> I guess there wasn't a market for men, you know. I'll give you $5 to take him off my hands, you know. <laughs> no, you keep him. <laughs> we're okay. Anyway, that was funny. The word covet means this, an insatiable desire. Let me say this. It means you're never satisfied. You got 25 pair of shoes, but you got to have 26. You have a $30,000 car, but now you want a $50,000 car. You got a three-bedroom house, got to get that four-bedroom house. You're never satisfied with what God has given you. You're never satisfied. Listen, and, and we uh, pastors, we battle the exact same thing. I mean, Pat, we pastors, we love big crowds. And we cannot lie. And all you other pastors can't deny. I'm telling you. We, we, but, you know, God hasn't called us all to have a mega church. God hasn't called us all to be millionaires. God hasn't called us all. You know, how sad would it be you get to heaven and you found out that all this time God wanted 20% of your income to go somewhere else. But you just had to have the latest iPhone. You had to have the biggest thing. How, how amazing would it be if you found out God wanted to give you millions? But you just wouldn't honor him in that area. You wanted everything for you. I, the, the one thing that Satan tempted Eve with was the one thing she did not have. God gave her everything but one tree. Isn't that sad? You got the whole forest, Eve. You got the whole garden. This tree belongs to God. Oh, that's the one I want. The one that's not mine. Genesis 3, 6. When Eve saw the tree was good, desirable. That word desirable is the same word for covet there in Exodus. And delightful to look at. She ate it, coveting is saying that what God has provided, it's not enough. When you start that coveting attitude, saying what God's given, it's not enough. I won't be happy until I get this. Here's the problem. When you get that, if you have a covet, if, if, you, if you have discontent in your heart now, when you get that, you'll still have it in your heart and you want something else. Then you'll get that and you'll have it in your heart and you want something else. It's, it's a heart issue. Um, there was a family years ago. They lived in Prestwick, this very, very wealthy family. And the father wanted to show his son, who was seven years old, how poor people lived so that he would be grateful for what God's done for their family. So they left their big fancy house over in the city in Prestwick, and they drove all the way down to Aner. And they decided they were going to spend the night. I don't know why that's funny every time I say that, but anyway. They decided to spend the night in this little farm. It was a little frame house. The people barely had anything, but they were kind enough to let the father and son stay with them for two days. After the two days, they headed back to the city and... The dad was curious if his son learned his lesson. 
you know, about what it meant to be poor. So he asked his son, he said, son, what are some things you learned about being poor? And the son said, well, dad, I learned that we have one dog and they have four dogs. He said, I learned that we have a little pool in our backyard, but they have this huge stream right down the street from where they live. I learned that, you know, we have these fancy lights outside of our house. But, Dad, you could see the stars so well from where they live. He said, I realized that our porch is on the front of our house where we like to hang out. But they had a whole field of grass in front of their house. The dad was kind of shaking his head thinking, what's going on? And the little boy said, Dad, thank you so much for teaching me how poor we really are. <laughs> it's a perspective issue, right? You don't even realize how much the shepherd's already provided for you. Hebrews 13, 5 says, let your character be without covetousness. There's point number two. Be content. There's point number one with what you have. For he himself said this, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. I'm never going to turn my back on you. I'll never not provide what you need for your God-given destiny. You know, every single television commercial is geared toward our discontent. Every commercial is geared for you to covet something that you don't need, that you have to have, like that blender, three easy payments of $129.99. And the people on the TV show, the commercial, they're all thin and in good shape, and their teeth are all white, you know, like Tom Cruise. And if you get this blender, you'll be able to juice vegetables, and you'll be thin like us, and your teeth will be white. And you buy that stinking thing, you use it one time, and you put it up in the top of your pantry, you go get the ice cream out of the freezer and think, why did I buy that blender? I would have been happier spending that money on 10 tubs of ice cream. My life would be more fulfilled. Regrettable decisions are made out of an unsatisfied heart. I, I know people, they, they go from house to house to house because they're unsatisfied. They think that's the change they need. They go from job to job to job. They go from town to town, they go from friendship to friendship to friendship to friendship, trying to find some person to satisfy them that only God can do. And you'll never know it till you spend time with the shepherd. Psalms 103, 1 through 5 says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And don't forget all the things, all the benefits, the beneficial things we have on being in relationship with him. He's the one that forgives. He heals. He redeems. And watch this. And he satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Uh, the Bible's perfect. Every word is perfect. It's not a coincidence he uses the word eagle there. I've taught you many things about eagles. I've taught you that they can stay very, very focused. And they're, 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 they're not easily distracted. I've taught you that eagles, um, they're okay being alone for a season or two if it means not hanging out with the chickens. I've taught you before that eagles only eat fresh food. They don't put trash and dead things inside of them because that's where their strength is found. I never taught you the weakness of the eagle. The, the, the number one cause of death of eagles is drowning. The reason why is, is when it spots that fresh salmon two miles away, they don't realize how big the salmon may be until they get there and grab it. If that fish is too large for the eagle, if it puts up too much of a fight, the eagle refuses to let go and ends up collapsing in the water and drowning to death. Number one cause of death is drowning. The number one weakness of the eagle is greed. It sees something that it wants, it grabs a hold of it, and it just will not let go. And it, it falls to its death. It has to have it so bad. 
Here's what I think God is telling us today. God will make you soar like an eagle as long as you don't get greedy for more than what he's already provided for you. Point number three for your notes is this. Count your blessings. Count your blessings. Matthew 6, 31. Do not worry about what you need. Everybody say need. Need. Your father knows what you need. Say it again. Need. Instead, seek ye first the kingdom of God, and he will provide you with all these other things that you're thinking about that you need and you got to have. He'll take care of it if you put him first. I could easily teach you uh, psychologically, emotionally, why worry is a sin. But instead, I'm going to teach you why worry is a sin theologically. And here's why. Because Jesus said don't do it. Just right there, flat out. He says don't do it, you do it, it's a sin. And here's why it's a sin. Worry accuses God of not providing. Worry accuses God of, well, I need this to be fixed. You don't think I'm going to provide peace and, 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 and the answer to that? Worry accuses God, well, you think I'm going to let something happen? You think I'm not going to protect? You think I'm not going to provide the things I set out to provide for you? Stop worrying. It's a, it's a sin. Um, if you want to know if the amount of money you have right now is what you're supposed to have, maybe God wants you to have more. Maybe you have more than you're supposed to have and you're greedy, but you want to be in his will. Let me ask this. Are you obeying God financially? Are you, are, are you obeying what he says about the tithe and get? Are you doing what he says? If so, then the amount of money you have now is exactly what you're supposed to have. If he wants you to have more, he'll give you more. If he wants you to have less, he'll, he'll, he'll take some away. Because don't, don't, wouldn't you rather have $50,000 than a million dollars if the 50000 is blessed by God and that's what he wants you to have and the million could actually destroy your life and ruin you? Wouldn't you rather have a million dollars if God wants you to have a million rather than the 50,000 you have, but you're not honoring God? You see? The job, you're, is, that, is that the job you're supposed to have? Did you get that job on your own? Is that the job God provided? Does he have something better? How do I know? Are you honoring God at the job? Are you honoring your boss? Are you respecting me? Are you working with diligence, excellence? Are you faithful behind the scenes? If so, then that's what you're supposed to have. And if he wants you to have a better job, I'll give you a better job. If he wants you to stay there, you'll stay there. The house that you live in, the trailer, the apartment, the condo, the four-bedroom, the mansion, the, the, the mobile home, is that the house? You're, but did God provide that? Does he want you to have something better? Does he want you to have something smaller? What does he want you to have? How do you know? Do you honor God with that? Are you paying your rent on time? Are you honoring the landlord, doing what they ask you to do? Are you keeping it clean as if Jesus lived there? How are you treating what God? If so, then that's what you're supposed to have. It's pretty easy to figure out. There's a, a famous philosopher, a French philosopher. He criticized Christianity most of his life. But when I read it, it's just it's kind of funny to me. But there was one line he said that I thought was really good. His name is Voltaire. And he said this. He said, uh, God created man in his own image, and now man is returning the favor. In other words, you know, God created him. We agree with that. But now, now, here's what we want. We want God to be white. We want God to be an American. We want God to vote Republican. We want God to be upper middle class. We want God to be okay. We want God to have the latest cell phone. We want God to have the $40,000 vehicle. We want God to have this money. Here's why. It makes us feel better about the things we want. So we're trying to get him to bend his will to our desires. How sad is that? And we Listen, if there's anyone in the world that should be grateful and content, it should be us in this room. The place we live. But you know, we're not. Let me tell you something. God's not white. And, 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 and also, <laughs> Jesus didn't speak English when he was on earth. I just want you to know that too. God did not vote Republican. 
God does not have the latest cell phone. If you need God to do that for you to feel good about yourself, you're out of his will. It's, it's so much better to just be close to the shepherd and say, is this what I'm supposed to have? If not, I'll give it away. If I'm supposed to have more, I'll take more. I don't want what I'm not supposed to I don't want what I am. I want whatever you want me to have. Uh, 1 Timothy 6, 6 says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. When my oldest son, Logan, I think he's 26, 20, I got five kids. I forget their names half the time, but I definitely don't know how old they are. But he's, um, he's 26 or 27, something like that. But when he was born, uh, we didn't have any money, you know, in our first little apartment. It was, um, we had this huge, uh, huge glass sliding door window. Uh, so when the sun, and it was right where the sun rose. And so for like eight hours a day, the sun would be beaming into our apartment. We could never get it under 90 degrees. And we didn't have enough money for window treatments. And so, you know, I, I did have some old sheets of my grandma's that she gave us. And, you know, grandmothers, they don't buy, like, white sheets or black sheets or gray sheets. They buy yellow sheets with flowers all over them. <laughs> they look like they're from 1945 or the hippie days or something. And so, but we hung that on the, on the window, and it stopped the sun from coming in, and we were so happy. There was no problem with that. When people came over, we'd take it off and throw it in the closet so they wouldn't see. And then we put it back on. We were just as content there as if we lived in a mansion. When my next child, when Zach was born, we moved out of the apartment and got a very, very small, it was like an 850-square-foot home. We were so happy. Two kids. But we had a, a metro. We only had one car. It was a metro. It had three cylinders. And it was brand new. Brand new. We paid $7,000. Payments were 90 bucks a month. The tires were actually the donuts, like the, the, the spare tire was the tires. That's how, but when we got to like 40, 45 miles an hour, the car would shake. But we didn't mind. We could have been driving a Porsche. We were just as content, just as happy. In fact, it helped put Zach to sleep many nights. It's like, he's not, put him in the car, you know, he ended up going to sleep. <laughs> That's a true story. I have another story I could tell with that, but should I tell it? Oh, I don't know if I should tell it or not. Okay, I'm going to tell you this. Don't tell the first service. They'll be upset I didn't tell them. But one night, it was like 1 a.m., and Zach wanted to sleep. And I was in my underwear. And I was like, this kid won't fall asleep. So I put him in the car, in my underwear, just put him in the car. So I had all his underwear. It's like, fall asleep. I drove for like 30 minutes. He wouldn't. He's crying. Finally, he falls asleep. Right when he falls asleep. This was 22 years ago. I was at the back gate here where that Super 8 motel is. And right, I pulled in to turn around to go back home. And I ran over something, and my tire went whoosh, completely flat. <laughs> and I didn't want to wake him up. And we had no cell phones back then. So I had these water bottles in my car that were there. So I had to <laughs> put my torso out the window with my underwear. And I was throwing it against the Super 8 motel, different, different hotel rooms, trying to get somebody to see and come outside. I said, I need you to call until, you know, whatever. And we only had the one car, too. So I was there like 4 a.m. in my underwear and my kid was asleep. Anyway, back to my story. So <laughs> this is not a sermon on visualization, by the way. This is a sermon on the show. Okay, okay so um, what am I talking about? I don't know what I'm talking about. Okay, so, but we were happy. That's the point. We were okay. And then when, um, when Eli was born, we finally got a nice car, we finally had a nice house, but we had no money for a vacation. For like 15 years, all the kids, they never went on vacation. We'd, our big Christmas was we'd spend $100 and go to Chuck E. Cheese in Florence. 
and play video games. And they were so excited. Listen, and we were just as happy as if we were at Disney World spending thousands and thousands of dollars. Here's the point. There's a blessing and there's a burden in every season of life. Don't focus on the burden. No matter what's going on, good time. There's always a blessing and there's always a burden. Don't focus on the burden. Maybe you're exactly where God wants you to be today. You just don't recognize it because you're so focused on what you don't have rather than what the shepherd's already provided for you. Okay, I'll close with this. There's a famous book got turned into a movie uh, by Mitch Album. It's called The Five People You Meet in Heaven. Now, it's not a biblical movie. It's not theologically correct, but neither are any of the other movies that you guys watch, so it doesn't matter. There's this man, he's in his 60s, and um, he worked at an amusement park his entire life, you know, off and on. It's all he ever knew. His parents owned it. He was there growing up. He never really wanted to be there. He had big dreams, but unfortunate things kept happening, and he always found himself back at the amusement park. He was discontent. He was unfulfilled. He never thought that's where he was supposed to be, and he dreaded going to work every day. But on the outside, you'd never know it. He was good to people. He smiled. He was kind. He helped everyone. But on the inside, he was unhappy. He felt like a failure, and he never liked the life that he had. One day, this little girl was getting off of a ride, and something had happened. Something was about to fall. She was in danger. Long story short, he rushed over to push her out the way. He saved her life, but in the process, he died and lost his own life. He gets to the outer gates of heaven. He was told he'd meet five people, and these five people would help him decide what heaven was going to be like for him for all of eternity. Again, it's not theologically sound, but it's still a good point. Was he going to live in a palace and be waited on hand and foot for all of eternity? Was he going to live down by the beach and, and walk across the shoreline with Jesus every morning? Was he going to live in the mountains and have the most beautiful view every day when he woke up? The first man that he met was a man he knew in the war. And the man thanked him for his friendship, told him how grateful he was for his help. Then he met three other people he had been good to over the years, and they expressed their appreciation for what he had done as well. The final person that he met, the fifth person, was the little girl who he helped at the amusement park. She's now an old lady. He's seen into the future. She thanked him so much for saving her life. She said, you don't understand. That was the greatest day ever. I got to go home and be with my family after that. I continued going to school. I lived life. I went to college. I fell in love. I got married. I had children. I had grandchildren. And I got to live a full, happy, fulfilled life. All of his time on earth, he felt like he was at the wrong place, the wrong job. He didn't like his life. But he was actually at the right place all along exactly where God wanted him to be. So he stepped back and he saw his whole life in a new perspective. So for his heaven, he ended up choosing the amusement park, the place he had dreaded all those years. Psalms 84, 11 says, there's not a single good thing that he will withhold from you when you're walking with the shepherd. If you're following him, then whatever he's provided for you right now is exactly what you need. And if you keep following the shepherd, he'll continue to provide. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.